0: Okay, well, we ready to pray this? Now that we've discussed whether tricky questions. If I say
1: it's tricky, it's tricky. We'll, we'll believe you. That's right. Uh, number one, God
0: was triune during Old Testament times. True. True. Yeah, that. that I mean, I guess that was sort of a trick question, I suppose, but. Uh, no. Um, yeah, he was triune. Whether. Anyone knew he was Triune is a, a question for more discussion, but, uh, uh, but he was Triune because he's immutable because he's... Number two, Jesus Christ may be observed in the Old Testament. put truth. Yeah well, I, I mean with, with an explanation, you could probably go either way. So I suppose this qualifies as a trick question if you want to be brutally technical. but no trick question. <laughs> uh, we, we, Do you mean observed as well, meaning actually yeah. seen or right? We, well, I, I guess the question is: it, was it Jesus Christ? Oh. Probably a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. Uh, was it Jesus Christ? Well, certainly hadn't been named as such yet, uh, but uh, uh, certainly we have uh, someone other than the Father who shows up in the form of the angel Yahweh, uh, that almost certainly was the second person of the Trinity. I'm not sure I would go so far as to call him Jesus Christ at that point, because he had not been manifested yet as Jesus the Christ. But,
2: Give us credit either
0: way. Yeah, I'll give you credit either way. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably would have leaned towards false, but really? uh, no. because it wasn't Jesus Christ, it was the second person of a godhead. But well, that's what we thought you meant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Depends
2: on what the word "be." (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Amen.
0: Number three: each of the three persons of the Godhead is equal in essence, function, and authority. False. I I said false. Isn't that function? Function. False. Yes. Very good. Very good. That's what I was after. I, I, I mixed. I mix the categories there. They are all equal in essence and authority, but they're not all equal in function. So that's where the false part of that yeah, statement is. I
3: was just thinking the same thing.
0: And that—that's remember we talked about the economic and the ontological trinity. They're mm-hmm. equal in essence. That's the ontological trinity. But they are there's a hierarchy of function, which is the economic trinity. When did Jesus become the Son of God? in the beginning oh, yes. okay. he was always, the son. always what translation is preferable to only begotten son in John 3.16 there's a couple things you can say but you can say the NIV, right but what does it say <laughs> one, of, one, <laughs> and only.
4: One, in, one of a kind is it?
0: yeah one and only one of a kind the unique son of God Many of those would be acceptable Translations.
1: At, least anyway. <laughs> was that? At least it's preferable to Mark Snowberger. anyway. At least it's preferable to Mark Snowburger. Well, according to the notes.
0: Which are inspired, right? so. But uh <laughs>
1: the guy we mentioned last week. Yeah, well No, it's preferable to me too, but uh seeing a big comeback on
0: the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did see us was it Denny Burke made the case that that term does mean only he has Yes, but I, I just don't I just don't see it yeah. myself okay so that's our discussion of the trinity two weeks left here uh, we've got uh, God's uh, and it's really one section of your notes the intersection of God and his universe although it's broken down into three parts First, we're going to talk about his decree. That'll take most of our time tonight. Then we'll talk about the creation of the world. And then we'll talk about his work of providence in maintaining the world. So it's his decree, it's creation, and uh, providential sustenance of the world. Okay, so tonight, uh, God's decree. We should have Hopeful, we have we'll have no trouble finishing this this section uh, up to page sixty five tonight. So uh, we start here, and I think this can go fairly quickly. But I want to I want to point out all the words that are used. I've got four pages here. I don't think it's going to take forever, but I I want to I want to read through some of the key texts on the decree of God. But really the point of, of seeing all of these words both in Hebrew and in Greek is to point out the fact that it's a very important concept in the Bible and very very carefully nuanced. It's, I mean, the, the fact that he, both Hebrew and Greek have a variety of terms uh, used to explain this idea of God's decree uh, means it's, it's very, very highly nuanced, very carefully, uh, very definable and uh, also very important. Uh, So, what is God's decree? First of all, and I'm going to use a definition by Augustus Hopkins Strong, is that eternal plan of God whereby God has rendered certain all the events of the universe, past, present, and future. And uh, certainly we're going to get into a few uh, discussions tonight, hopefully, about that because uh, there, are, there are some who are a little bit squeamish about that definition but I think that we can maintain it and uh, then qualify it. But uh, some some terms. In Old Testament first of all yat to ordain or determine something in advance Psalmist says all the days ordained for me were written in your book before any one of them came to be okay, so that's it uh, gives a specific of what is ordained and determined. That's a, perhaps a scary thought, but a comforting one as well, that uh, uh, God is in charge of when I live and die. Ya'atz, ya'atz, uh, to decide or devise or plan or purpose. Isaiah 14, surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will stand, because the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? Rhetorical question, no one. You can see other uses of this term throughout the Old Testament as well. Etzah, which is noun form here of the previous word, uh, God's plan or counsel. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Isaiah 46, I make known the end of, from, from the standpoint of the beginning. So standing at the beginning, I declare the end. From ancient times, what is still to come? I say, my purpose will stand. And I will do all that I please. And then he gets specific here. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. This is a reference here to Cyrus, king of Persia. From a far off land. This man will fulfill my purpose. This is a hundred years before uh, this this man would come to power, so he's not even alive yet. And, uh, and uh, he, he makes this statement here, What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. It's, I think it's... Uh, John Frame has a very good discussion about the prophecy and uh, the decree of God, how that God can make predictions means that he has to be completely in control of an enormous number of circumstances in order to make any sort of valid prediction uh, really an infinite number of, of circumstances um, I've got this book that I read when I was in high school I was into the new science at the time and it was a book by James Gliak called Chaos and uh, it was uh, about the weather and uh, how that uh, meteorologists can't predict the weather more than a few days in advance with any sort of credibility. And uh, they, they uh, this this fellow, he 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 came up with this term, the butterfly effect. It's now become somewhat common in usage here, and, and the idea is you can't you can't predict the weather beyond a few days out because there's a butterfly somewhere in China flapping his wings. He uses a butterfly because you know they seem to fly randomly. I mean, it's not like a bird. It's very uh, methodical, but they just seem to flitter and flood all over. And so the, the air currents, the tiny air currents that this butterfly makes go all different directions here. And the cumulative effect of all the butterflies everywhere in the world is such that it'll actually make incremental changes in the, in the air currents and the weather patterns. So you can't really make uh, any sort of prediction more than a few days in advance because you can't possibly know all the all of the billions of factors that come together to just ever so slightly inform the weather. And I think that I mean it's a helpful it's a helpful thought when we think about the predictions that God makes uh, about a, you know a man who's going to come and topple uh, the Babylonian empire and he actually in another context there he actually names him. Well, I mean, how do how do you how do you make such a prediction uh, without having absolute control over billions and billions and billions of circumstances? And that's the that's uh, that's all wrapped up, I think, here in this this uh, uh, this this passage here in Isaiah 46, and really the whole the whole discussion we're having tonight. Chasav uh, to purpose or planned or intend. This is a term used by Joseph. When he was sold into slavery, it seemed awfully bad for him. But uh, his, his conclusion: you intended to harm me, but God superintended, if I can put it that way. He intended it for good to accomplish what is being uh, now being done, which was saving his whole family from famine. Often, this term carries the idea of clever interconnected or ingenious design in the manufacture of something it's the term uh, used for Bezalel when the Holy Spirit came upon him so that he was able to uh, to construct the tabernacle uh, so he, he was he was just a very clever and careful craftsman and so the same same idea here of God it's a, it's it's a very intricate interlocking, well-connected, ingenious plan that he has for all things. Uh, there's, a, there's a noun form of the, the previous verb again. makashava. Devices, plans, intentions. How great are your works, your plans. And here's that, here's that idea of cleverness. Your plans are very intricate. They're very, they're very carefully constructed. Down to the smallest detail. Nathan which is it's a rather common verb simply means to give but in certain contexts it carries this nuance of appointing uh, before i formed you in the word room, womb i knew you and before you were born i consecrated you i appointed you i gave you but probably the nuance here is i appointed you to be a prophet for the nations so everything is done by divine appointment this uh, word is used uh, routinely in the book of Jonah. To if you go through chapter four, it's really you can really almost make a three-part sermon because it, it, there's there's three appointments. God first appointed, well actually you can go all the way to the beginning of the story. God appointed a a a, 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 a storm, uh, and then later he he uh, he appointed a a worm. Excuse me. He appointed a, a gourd, then he appointed a worm, and then he appointed a wind. And so these three appointments that God makes here uh, set the stage then for the conclusion of that book. So so it's an appointment. Chavratz, to determine. Man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits that he cannot succeed. And then natsav to affix, to appoint, to establish. You have fixed the boundaries of the earth. Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth. It stands fast by your appointment here. Different term actually, mishpat, by your ordinance, by your appointment. They stand this day, for all things are your servants. Okay, so you catch a little bit of the flavor here of the, of the detail the comprehensiveness, the intricateness of this plan of God that uh, includes all things. We've got a, in the New Testament, we've got a similar uh, uh, multiplication of terms uh, for this idea of God's decree, charizo to determine, to appoint, or to fix an interesting verse here, Acts 2.23. This man was handed over to you by God's set, predetermined, definite, prearranged, depending on what translation you have, uh, purpose and foreknowledge. It's actually an interesting uh, verb, con- verbal construction here. I'll let uh, the expert talk about that if he, if he wants to here. But, uh, uh, but, uh, but the having been fixed, so it's... Uh, a uh, perfect passive form uh that uh, really sort of r- really reiterates the fact that it's established in eternity past oridso, which is the same verb again except now with a with a prefix beforehand so to determine beforehand now or to predestine this is your <coughs> classic word here to uh, for predestin or predestination for those whom the Lord foreknew, which we defined earlier, as not as a knowledge in advance, but rather a, a choice in advance, for those whom God elected, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So he made it happen. He planned it out and made it happen. So that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, Those he called, those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So again, the sequence here, all part of this plan. Uh, Again, this term is used in Ephesians 1, similar context of, of election. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, in whom we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And there you see the comprehensiveness of this plan of God. Everything is contained within it. Uh, so, though I mean, we just mentioned that here, to foreknow, uh, same, same verse again here, but different word now that we're emphasizing, to establish or actually select beforehand for those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, In this term, uh, foreknowledge occasionally has has the idea of knowing facts in advance. I think there's two occasions in the New Testament uh, where that's the case. Uh, But when that when this verb has a personal object, so if God foreknows, God can foreknow facts that is to know them in advance. But most of the time, when you see this word, He foreknows people. And, uh, again, it's probably, I think we mentioned this already, this, uh, this word, gnosko, to know, is very similar to the word we use in English, to know. Uh, we can know facts, or we can know people. Uh, if we know facts, we know certain, we, we, we know cognitively certain bits of data. But if we know a person, it means that we, have an acquaintance or a relationship and so this 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 word in Greek has the same the same same idea so when you see this word uh, with a with a with a fact as the object okay we know facts in advance God knows facts in advance uh, but most of the time we, we find here that God has established a relationship or an acquaintance in advance and so we'd see this term probably as a uh, really as a synonym for election okay god determined to have a relationship with us in advance because that's what that uh, that term here means okay and you can find this in your basic uh, basic uh, greek dictionary uh, there's also an article here by Uh, that I I recommend to you if you really want to look into it so there's quite a debate over the meaning of foreknowledge out there in the big bad world Uh, but uh, when we see this, this term it's well established that that's what it means any thoughts on that? I think we already talked about that a little bit earlier then the question is what's the relationship between predestination and foreknowledge and uh, my suggestion is God's predestination is the blanket term that incorporates everything in its scope. And then within that is this electing work of individuals that's part of this broad uh, decree of God. Okay, Does that make sense? A couple other words here that are used in Greek. Tasso or protasso. Same arrangement again. To appoint or to determine... Beforehand, if you have the pro prefix, so Acts seventeen twenty six, he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And we're talking about some. There's actually some debate of whether he's talking about the nations or actually the geographic, the the geography of the nations or the nations themselves. Probably, uh, probably the latter. He decided beforehand. Who's going to rise, when they're going to rise, when they're going to fall. He has determined their boundaries. Okay. me. To set in place beforehand. So he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed beforehand in Jesus Christ. Here he's uh, talking about uh, election, and then we'll move into the mystery of the church. It's all part of this, uh, all, all part of this unveiling of new information about the decree of God uh, that is that is that he's that Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, is revealing. I mean, it's the, he's divulging the mysteries uh, of the New Testament. Praheto Mazo to prepare beforehand. Familiar verse here in Ephesians 2. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even the, uh, the progress we make in our sanctification is something that's been ordained, planned by God. Uh, Romans 9 discussion here of the objects of wrath and objects of mercy he prepared in advance the objects of mercy for glory um, it's actually a different word used in verse 22 for the uh, uh, for the uh, for the vessels uh, uh, prepared for destruction but it means the same thing <laughs> Procarizomai is to appoint or select. And you, well, I guess you can't see it in there, but that C H E I R there in the middle is the word hand. Okay, uh, so this is actually a, a term that's used uh, sometimes. There's appeal made in, in Baptist discussions here because uh, there was there was a, a, a there was a decision made, a selection made, so that the the early missionaries. Uh, in in Acts were uh, chosen by hand, and so some some uh, Baptist polity hawks look at this word and actually say, "Aha! They were actually you know all in favor, Raise your right hand." <laughs> Probably is not what it means, but it's actually an interesting thought. But but the idea, is that, you know, God's hand is at work. You know, and and, and I mean that's that's idiom that we use here, uh, but uh, you know, God's hand is in all. That happens. God of our fathers has chosen you. He has he has manipulated, and I I think it does sort of draw attention to the fact that he is he is involved in this. Okay, he's uh, so he's chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear the words of his mouth. Again, context of election, and then we have these two terms. Thalema and Boule, both of which are translated the will of God. There does seem to be something of a preference. Well, well, let's just use this, and then we'll talk about the will of this uh, this this note here. But Acts two twenty three, Christ was delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So it includes here the death burial and resurrection of Christ Ephesians 1 he works out all things out of the, after the counsel of his will so this term is used here 1 Corinthians 1 Paul is called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God in fact he uses this to uh, describe himself in, in multiple letters so what is this will of God I think it's important that we understand what it is and uh, um you notice that there's two words here used, thelema and Boule. And there does seem to be two manifestations of the will of God as you work your way through the scriptures. They sort of roughly follow these two words, but not exactly. So uh, these, these, these terms are, are, are more or less synonyms, but there does seem to be sort of a favoring of the sovereign will with boule, and uh, a little bit of a favoring of, of Philema for God's moral will but there, that's by no means a, an absolute distinction nonetheless uh, we do have clearly two meanings of God's will as we work our way through scriptures and this is not something that we're just uh, you know, we're trying to equivocate here in order to make things work uh, it's pretty clear from the scriptures that there are two meanings. Let's see if I can uh, just to display this. Uh, first of all, it's God's sovereign will. And really what we've been talking about uh, for the last three pages in our notes are, are all manifestations of God's sovereign will. God is, uh, he is, he is making things certain. So God's sovereign will is his secret will, his determinative decree According to which all things must necessarily and inevitably occur. I say it's secret because it can't be known—at least not until it happens. So, what are we supposed to do with the sovereign will of God? Well, there's no there's no command anywhere to seek to know God's will uh, uh, because it's secret. Christian's proper response is to accept it and submit to this will of God. There is an uh, an aspect of God's will, however, that is to be sought. We're, we need to we need to know very well what God's moral will is. That refers to God's revealed, descriptive, uh, excuse me, prescriptive ethical and moral expectations, which we ought to do. My call it a will of moral expediency. These things can be known and must be known. It's our responsibility to know what God's moral will is. It's contained within the Christian scriptures, and our response to it is to discover it, know it, and to obey it. Okay. I, I let me let me just pull out one of those passages so you can see the distinction. First. Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. So, uh, you, you look at that and say, okay, it's God's will that all Christians everywhere be chaste and be, uh, be, uh, morally pure. Well, if by this will we means this, this is the thing that must inevitably and necessarily occur, uh, then that's obviously not true. okay There's been many a Christian over the years that so say uh, that has followed, fallen into uh, moral failure. Uh, so so, so we, 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 we have to conclude based on this verse and many others like it, that there is a will of God what, what God tells us we ought to do. There's a will of God which says what will happen, and there's a will of God that tells us what we ought to do. I mean, those things don't, you, you, we can't confuse those two. And I think there's a, a great deal of uh, uh, anxiety has occurred within Christian life and in the life of the church when people confuse these two aspects of the will of God. Uh, such that we're actually trying to find out God's secret will and match it. Well, that's, that's not, you know, we're not trying to find the secret will and match it. We're trying to find the moral will and obey. Okay? The secret will of God is something that's just going to unfold. Uh, and we can do nothing about it. Okay? What what ends up happening sometimes is there's this idea of sort of an in between will of God, sort of that has characteristics of both of these all in one. So the idea of a of a perfect will of God, for instance, you know, we uh, if we, uh, uh, we, uh, we if we're conform if we're not conformed to this world but transformed by the renewing of my, our minds, we'll find out this perfect will of god as it is sometimes understood in romans 12:2 we'll come back to explain what that does mean here uh, but it but the but the uh, uh there's this uh idea that flourishes very much that there is a there is a perfect will of god that has features of the sovereign will of god and features of the moral will of god it's secret but if we pray hard enough you know, and we squeeze our eyes tight enough as we pray, and and uh, yeah, we're we're really holy uh, that that God will sort of let us in on the secret. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll get we'll get this this tidbit of information that we'd really like to know, but it's not in the Bible. Okay, who am I going to marry? Should I take this new job? You know, big big questions of life, and and so oftentimes you, you'll find oftentimes it's youths but it's not only not only children but also adults are are just anxious okay i've got to do god's will so i've got to how, how do i find out what god's will is well you find out god's moral will what does god tell you you must do and you obey it but there's a lot of there's a lot of secret things that belong to the lord our god if i could uh, "Quote uh, uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. He just doesn't let us know. And we might make uh, make all the you know all you know do all the research and say we're going to take this job, and then you, you get there and, the, and and the company closes the next day, and boom, you just you just made a uh, you you just put yourself in a in a, in a heap of hurt and, and, and trouble here, and you you did you tried to do everything right. Well, okay. That's. It's not because you necessarily did something wrong here, and God's punishing you. Uh, I mean, you, you do do due diligence and try and make sure you don't put yourself in that situation. But sometimes you just can't save God, uh, and there's there's secret aspects of God's will that just aren't available to us. And we'd love to know every detail of, of God's sovereign will, but he doesn't give it to us, okay? So what, what do we do with this idea of a perfect will that so many, so many seem to try to take? What should we think of it? Well, I say first it erroneously conflates two mutually exclusive expressions of God's will, one that's wholly secret, the other that's wholly reveal, Okay. Uh, you've got two aspects of God's will, and one is revealed and one is not revealed. And there's no middle ground here. I say also here, and this is probably my biggest criticism, that it's based on a kind of a Gnostic existential view of discerning truth. What do I mean by Gnostic? Now this this is an early heresy within the life of the church, second century, but it's it's a, it's a, it's a it's a heresy that's just made made a little intrusions into the life of the church ever since i mean every every generation has 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 expressions of this we sometimes talk about pietism uh, under this category here the, the the idea here that if i'm super spiritual God'll open a crack a little window into his secret will and let me in on it if I'm super spiritual and so, and uh... Now, like the, the Gnostics, build a whole system of, of <laughs> theology based on this. By the um, yeah, whole 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 system. You know, these these are people who are ordinary Christians, and these people are are know a little bit more. And these are, these these are the true Gnostics. They know they have a they have a big window into God's secret will. But but the fact is that that, that just isn't there. It, this 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 whole idea of Pietism and kind of Gnosticism. Uh, whereby, if we're spiritual, God gives us special information, it just doesn't exist, and I think it's been a scourge in the life of the church. And hopefully, uh, uh, this is something that you can, you know, uh, propagate the truth on because I think it's very important that we do this. And a, a lot of people are paralyzed uh, by this 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 idea here. I say it's also based on poor exegesis of Romans twelve two. If I can. Uh, uh, if like I quote a King James, because that's where the or the problem perhaps comes in, uh, be not tr- trans- conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But even if you, if you have a King James, if you happen to look at that, there's a there's a there's an interesting comma that's put in in a in just the wrong place in your King James. Uh, the perfect. It says that you will approve what is that good and perfect comma will of God. It just really, the comma has no no business being there, and probably is a reflection here of the intention by the translators to to indicate that there's a pause. Okay, that you will uh, you will you, you will approve what is that good, what is good and perfect comma, namely. The will of God. Okay, and this is what modern translations have. You'll be able to attest and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, which is a reflection of which of the two wills of God? The moral will. Yes, very much so. Okay, so if we are, we're conformed to Christ, we're reading the scriptures, and letting the scriptures transform our mind, we will be aware of the moral will of God what God expects us to do, what is good and what is pleasing and what is perfect. So it's not a promise that we're going to get some sort of a window into the secret sovereign will of God, but rather it's a, an indication that we will, we will find from reading the scriptures and conforming ourselves to the image of Christ, uh, be aware of what his moral expectations are for us. So, we don't have, we don't, we don't get, we don't get a window into God's sovereign will much as we'd like to at times, and that's by design. Okay. There's a couple of books here that you can, uh, read if you'd like as well. Uh, James Petty, uh, has a book, Step by Step. Uh, Gary Friesen has a book, Decision Making in the Will of God. Kevin DeYoung, it's more, more popular work here, Just Do Something, Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. Uh, so these these are these are helpful discussions of this topic. Th- thoughts that you have about this concept of the will of God? It's been a, quite a great discussion and debate over the years.
3: Um, the episode in Acts where the disciples choose Judas' replacement, I've uh-huh. heard that used before saying that they were trying to access that secret will of God by casting lots.
0: Yeah, that that incident is a rather a strange one. There's a lot. There's a lot of questions that come up with that question. Uh, one, you know, their their whole use of the psalm to determine that they need to replace Judas. I I don't know. What what is your thought on that? It it seems rather strange that they would use that verse. And
1: well, my thought is that Jesus told them to replace Judas. Okay. I just think
0: that so it's not something they're picking up from song. I don't think so. I okay. think Jesus would have
1: told them in that forty-day period, "Hey, okay. one of the things you got to do is replace." Jesus. Is replace because we got to have twelve apostles, seven and twelve thrones. You know, it's okay. gotta, I think he probably told them to replace. So,
0: yeah. so and 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 so then they're trying to determine who it is, yeah. and so they they do this 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 question by a lot. I actually wrote an article about eight, ten years ago now on the, the use of lots in the Bible and my, my, and my conclusion was that while God can use lots to effect his will most of the time when the, the, the lots were prescribed in the Old Testament it was in order uh, to be as random as possible. Uh, so for instance there was a lot chosen which of these goats is going to be killed and which one of them is going to go out into the wilderness and, and it, it, the idea was to be as, as objective as possible we'll just we'll just make it random here we'll, we'll, we'll cast lots we'll determine uh, which one goes out and which one gets killed uh, it wasn't a, an attempt to di- discover from God w- which one does he want to kill and which one does he want to go out into the wilderness but rather to be as random as possible uh, so,
3: so, if the disciples had two equally qualified candidates, they may have just taken that. Approach.
0: Yeah, it's possible they were looking for God's choice. Uh, but my, my my inclination is is they probably had they they had two nominations here. They were split on which one it ought to be, and so they flipped a coin. Determine, <laughs> determine, I but if there was eleven, <laughs> 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 <Right. laughs> <laughs> right, let just yeah. I don't know if you have thoughts on that.
1: It's it's a very difficult to know. Well, right,
0: it's an Old Testament practice. It doesn't right. need to carry on right. to this,
1: but you know whether they had special instructions from Jesus to do this, I you know it's just Start hard up. to know what they what they were told to do I just think that they didn't think this up on their own to choose another apostle first.
0: and we do have to remember then that they're living in the era of special revelation too so done. it's it's possible that yeah. God would reveal that is true. his his will through and such a
1: dispensational answer is right. that we don't have the Holy Spirit coming and you know we have different right. dispensation and old Testament
2: uh, misapplication of, you know, God determines the lot that falls in the lap. I mean, you know, so if we're casting lots, then God's going to determine, you know, which way it's going to go. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah that. Which really so doesn't... I think the, the point here is that, that that's a. Know, God ultimately blood. is in charge of. What numbers show up when you roll yeah, the God dice? sovereign will. That's what that verse teasing that <laughs> is teaching? God's but, but it's not, a, the idea is not that we do these things in order to discover God's sovereign will. But that'd be almost, it'd be the same
2: uh, logic, really, is like with a, a, a job, you know, I've got three options. Okay, so I just, you know, I pick this one here so that's right. you know, God's, God's will.
0: Yeah, it's God's will, but it's not something that was secret that I discerned. It's right. just uh, I chose this, and right. by my choosing it, I, I discover it to I be God's will.
4: <laughs> but if you had two choices, they're both good choices, uh-huh. I would make my choice based on what I feel is the best choice. Wisdom issues. But right, right. Yeah. using this logic, I could say they're both good choices, neither one's outside God's moral will. I'm going to throw a dice. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, sometimes just might do that. I mean, yeah, but I Even if I wisdom do, wisdom won't, wisdom won't exactly dictate mm-hmm. which one. And some wrong. minor choice of life, you know, it might not dictate which. I could just choose, and and that's what I mean. That's what Dong is saying in his book: is, hey, don't don't worry about casting lots on that one. Just make a choice and go ahead. You know, you'll be all right. <laughs> right. You don't you don't have to agonize agonize and, over. I guess I wouldn't
4: worry. I wouldn't ignore what God gave me as far as a brain and common
0: sense and sure no we're not we're not don't, suggesting don't yeah, disregard right. wisdom
1: right don't use the wisdom but sometimes it may not solve right. the issue ultimately yeah,
0: yeah am I going to wear this pair of socks or that Wimitation. pair of socks yeah just pick one I get dressed in Some the dark they don't <laughs> match <laughs> uh, get to work
2: my wife did that oh, when she decided to marry me <laughs> I, I got wrote, all these choices. Here. My wife wrote a list of pros and cons, get, get, and I found that
4: list. Oh. <laughs> and then I flushed it from my mind because I never wanted to know it.
0: Yeah, my best friend when I was in high school, he was very, he was a, he was a very spiritually minded person. Really wanted to do do what God, what God wanted him to do, and he was praying about where he should go to college, and the the, the anxiety. Grew and grew and grew through the summer, because he, because God didn't tell him, and he, he and he didn't know what, so he decided not to go, because uh, God didn't tell him where to go, so he decided not to go. Now it actually worked out, God's providence is, his 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 father was uh had got uh, he was suddenly got bone cancer and died in a matter of weeks, and so he was there. He was the one son that was left to sort of help his mom and get, get established uh, and <laughs> you, you don't You don't want to blame God for those decisions here. Once you get this in your mind, it's very difficult
2: to get it out. It, it is. I, mean, I like what you have right. here. Um, it's very succinct, and it's uh, it's very helpful. But once you get it in there, if you're not looking at it biblically, it's yeah. very difficult. You go through your Thinking this, yeah, that the system is very perfect well and I had it uh, even in high school. I mean, teachers would say they'd talk about the perfect will of God. Well, everybody wants the perfect will of God. Well, you've got to go to a Christian college. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going to a Christian college, but it doesn't mean that that's the perfect will of God. So, it's very difficult to get this. Out. Yeah.
3: Okay. Uh, just yeah. before we leave this yep. yep, uh, I wanted to just ask you about um, Romans 9.19 when we were talking about the will of God that where Paul says So one of you will say to me then why does God still blame us for who is able we're resisting <laughs> uh, and just Paul essentially Paul's answer is that um, God blames us because because he does, because he creates some for your noble and some for noble purposes, right?
0: Right. Well, that doesn't take. In fact, we're going to get here that it doesn't. It doesn't take away personal responsibility. Nonetheless, it is part of God's will. The good things in, in the world and the bad things in this world are part of this orchestrated plan of God, up to and including this here, uh, the uh, perdition of the ungodly. <clears throat> so, that's yeah, yeah, well, we'll let, let's, let, let me put you on hold if there's further questions. because we're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes. So see if that uh, if we help it, if, that, if that helps. So let's, let's, let's see if we can unpack this idea of God's will. First, we see that it's comprehensive. It's a singular, all-inclusive plan with no room in the least for contingency possibilities, or indeterminism. So we already saw these verses. Our election is predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There's nothing outside of God's will. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And In truth, there's really just one decree of God, not many decrees. I mean, we talk about Individual decrees of God, because just for just to you know to organize things, perhaps. Uh, but there is a single, all-inclusive, interlocking network of all events that, to, in the totality of which, is God's singular decree. There's really no succession in the divine decree, no independence of any part, no contingency. It's only because we're finite that we speak in terms of decrees. Of God but really if we if we understand this concept properly there's just one one plan of God that that includes everything in it. It includes such details as stability of the universe, most of these we've already read about so let, we'll go through this quickly the boundaries of the nations and political powers, the length of each person's life, the manner of each person's death, the salvation of, unbel- of believers and the perdition of the ungodly, Geological and meteorological details. Job and Psalm talk about the fact that God rides on the on the backs of the wind and and fires out lightning bolts to their precise destination. Uh, we tend to think of lightning as being rather random, but uh, Psalm 104 uh, gets has this, this rather dramatic picture of God riding on the winds of the wind. Just with his, with his lightning bolts here, because they're not random for God. Nothing random in this universe. The lightning bolts go directly to their intended destination. Most trivial of circumstances, such as the number of one's hairs, and even the death of small birds, sparrows. It also includes the free acts of men, which actually is a complication here. We're going to have to spend a little time on here. The good acts of men, are all part of God's will, and we usually don't have any trouble with this one. You know, God prepared in advance for believers to do good works, so on and so forth. We tend to say, okay, yeah, that we we love that. But we also find that the bad works, the evil acts of of free creatures, are part of the plan of God as well. I give a whole lot more verses here because this is the more controversial one. The wickedness of Joseph's brothers. God intended for good. Amos 3, when disaster comes to a city, the Lord has caused it. Actually, a rather strong verb there. Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked, for the day of disaster. Lamentations 2, the exile was part of God's purpose that he commanded from long ago. Same book. Who can speak and have it happen, if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the most high that both calamities and good things come? The word here is Ra simply means normally translated evil. Okay, so uh, from the mouth of the most high, both evil and good come. Acts two twenty three. 427, the crucifixion was according to God's predetermined plan that was destined according to his purpose so the most foul and wicked act of human history was carefully orchestrated by God the hardening of Israel which really is largely the story of the Old Testament was intended by God to complete his broader purpose of including the Gentiles. And then Romans 17, 17. And I, again, I'm appealing to these some of the most horrible events of history. This one's still future, but it's part of history. The details surrounding the rise of the Antichrist reflect God's will. You know, God's, God's planned it all. It's not as though there's something just sort of... Spiraling out of control here, an antichrist emerges. No, this is something that God orchestrates. Even, even the most vile and wicked of people and events that we see in this world are orchestrated by God. Okay, and this is this creates attention, of course, for us. How is it that God, who is righteous and holy, uh, can be then? Uh, uh willing or orchestrating uh, or, uh decreeing these things that are so so evil uh, but at the same time we 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 kind of like this idea because we don't want god to have lost control I think uh, we don't like to to think of of the possibility that god is you know lost control and these things are happening and he, he can't do anything about them so there's, there's a comfort here in, in reading these things. At the same time, there's a tension that rises in our minds. How can a righteous God be this way? So we have two questions here. First, if the free acts of men are determined by God, how can they be free? And then secondly, how can a righteous and holy God decree things that are evil? So there's two questions, big questions, I suppose. Let's see if we can answer some. I don't know if we'll answer them adequately, but uh, we've got at least supply an answer. So first, if the free acts of men are determined, how can they be free? And it's a very difficult question. Depending on who you talk to, you get very different answers. The Arminian says that man's free acts are simply known in advance, but not actually decreed. Okay, so... Uh, God looks down the corridors of time and discovers what man does in his freedom and then builds his decree based on what he observes. So so God is not so much sovereign here as he's just a, a good observer. The open theist goes even further and says that man's free acts are so free that God can't even know them in advance. And certainly... Does not decree them. And so God isn't even sure exactly what's going to happen, much less decree what's going to happen. On the other side, there are some who go a little bit too far the opposite direction, making God culpable for sin and blameworthy for the sins that he has decreed or the constraining cause of sin, if I can put it that way. And I suggest that probably in between two and three here is better to say that freedom is not defined as the ability to do otherwise, but by the absence of constraint in a given choice. We've talked about this earlier. God's decree as such is determinative, but it's not constraining. Okay, so God decrees what will happen, and it must and will necessarily happen, but he does not compel or constrain people to do wicked deeds. Now, how God determines, apart from constraint, is an inscrutability, something that is very difficult to, to come up with an answer to. Uh, again, we talked about the fact that Bruce Ware comes up with this idea of middle knowledge Which is a model for understanding it, but I'm not sure it's an adequate one. Uh, But I think what we have to conclude here is that God ordains everything, but He does not constrain or compel people to do wicked things.
3: People with that mental knowledge idea, though, like says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Something that God actively did. It's not like He knew of Pharaoh.
0: Yeah, this is this is one of Bob McCabe's favorite discussions to have, <laughs> but uh, and he points out that there's a there's a there's a there's a back and forth here. I think about half the times we find that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and the other half the times God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So we we find a we we find that both are at work here. So it, it's not as though if if we found only that God hardened, God hardened, God hardened, God hardened. God hardened we could perhaps look at this and say, this just doesn't seem right, but the, the, the back and forth, uh, I think actually sort of plays into this discussion mm-hmm. that God God decrees, but it's not as though he is compelling or constraining Pharaoh to do something other than what he wanted to do.
2: Our, our hearts are already uh,
0: before Christ, authority. Right, but they they can be hard, hardened further. Yeah, we don't seek God in any way. I mean, right. So, so the, the, you know whether whether this is an active, I, you know, Doctor McCabe had a had a had a thing that he got from R.C. Scroll that it was a, um, it, it was he had both active and passive in the same same sentence there, um, but. The, and yeah, trying trying to work through some of the uh, some of the details, and I think it's probably what we have. It's something. It's hard. It's quite an inscrutability to to see how that God decrees something and yet does not compel. There's always seems to be a layer there of what we might call secondary causation, uh, whereby He is free. I mean, we find that God doesn't. Compel people to sin. He doesn't tempt people to sin. Uh, James tells us that, and so there there has to be some sort of a layer in there. He might he might be responsible for the tempting agent, but he's not the tempting agent himself.
3: Is it is, is there a fundamental problem with saying that God decreed for evil to happen? But only because the, his ultimate goal or purpose uh, was greater or more valuable than the evil that he decreed, or I don't know how to say it. Exactly.
0: Well, I mean, I, mean, I think we would say that whatever God decrees in terms of evil contributes to, as we said earlier, the best possible world. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what we don't want to say is that God is constraining or compelling people to sin, even though he decrees it. Some people like to use the word permit. You know, God permits sin. I'm okay with that. At the same time, when I hear permitting, I get the idea of something outside of God that he just sort of you know, lets have have its way for a while. I, I hesitate to think of God in those terms. God is God decrees it. Um, I'd say God decrees to permit, uh, but uh, I, 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 I'm much more comfortable using decree language than permit language in that in that situation, although that's one solution that people come up with. Doesn't the author uh,
2: deal with that? Yeah. In the book here? Yes, he does.
0: Had Adam not sinned. Right now, he, he actually goes a little bit further than I feel comfortable with him. Mean, he he actually tries to explain why why particular sins were necessary, and it seems like he goes off into a little bit of speculation at times. Uh, but uh, but there is an explanation. Whether, whether whether Raymond found it, there is a an explanation in the mind of God why it is that things unfolded this way he God would have been required
2: eternally to share his glory with the creature right. and his own beloved son right. would have been uh, would have been denied the
4: role which led to his messianic lordship over men and his right. father's glory was followed yeah See, and that was before I even read that I had the question that it seems like Pre-fallen man would have the ability to choose differently than the fallen man. Yeah. Insert. I don't know
0: how right. to. I don't know how to think about that. But right, right.
4: So, so, do you think he
2: went too far there?
0: Well, I mean, he I, I, I mean, he, he, he says this is why it was necessary for God to, uh, uh to to introduce sin into his universe because if he hadn't then people would look to Adam as their savior is basically his argument there which I suppose is true but I, I, I'm, I, I hesitate to say this is this is exactly what God was thinking when he does this I, it seems, seems like there's a little bit of speculation that goes on into that because Philippians 2, 6-11 there. Uh,
2: interesting <clears throat>
0: second question how can God righteously decree what is evil and it piggybacks on the previous this question is difficult to answer as well it's easier to say what the answer is not than what it is any answer to this question that denies God's sovereignty on the one hand or his holiness on the other is the wrong answer God is sovereign God is holy so the answer that we give to this question must include both of these uh, all things that occur in this universe are decreed by God, including the evil ones. The Bible cleanly and clearly teaches that. That's why I multiplied out the passages. And yet, God cannot cause, coerce, or engage in sin. sin. We already quoted James 1.13, tempts no man to sin. So he does not cause, coerce, or engage in sin. Nonetheless, everything that occurs in this universe is decreed by God including the evil so it's inappropriate to speak of God as sin's creator or cause but also inappropriate to speak of Satan or mankind as independent forces in the universe to whom God has granted sin sovereignty that's sometimes a term that you sometimes see, Feinberg uses it in his his book What we have here instead is probably something like primary and secondary causation God does not personally tempt people to sin but he does introduce the agents that do tempt people to sin so secondary causation uh, which Feinberg talks about as efficient causation and ultimate causation so God's decree makes sin certain but he doesn't make it compulsory. Okay, Again, probably another less than perfectly satisfying answer. Uh, but in this case, I think we just have to look at the scriptures and see what they say and, and somehow come up with a model that allows both of those things to be true. God is sovereign. God is holy. And whatever answer we give cannot deny either one of those points. Thoughts on that? You've got a better model for understanding it I'm all ears. Can we wait until we get to heaven? Maybe. <laughs> so. well,
2: yeah. I don't know if this verse here, it says, uh, Samson's infatuation with the Philistine women uh, was from a Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines.
0: Yeah. and judges. Yeah, we've got some, some interesting ones there. I mean, we've, got, we've also got that whole situation where, you know, when the, the divine court, when, the, when Jehoshaphat and Ahab were going into battle, and, and uh, there's this court, the angels gather together in heaven. God says, I need someone to go and, uh, and, and cause Ahab to go into battle. Who's who's going to volunteer? (laughs) And and one one says, "I'll do it." So he goes and you know he goes and tempts Ahab to uh, to enter into battle, and Ahab is killed uh, during this battle. And and, and, but it it seems pretty clear there that God isn't going to tempt him personally to sin and go go into battle, but he looks for a volunteer. I mean, it's it's rather raw. Uh, situation there. You know, I need a volunteer because I can't do it. Some, somebody else has to go and, and tempt him to, to do something wrong. So it is a, an interesting dynamic there. What's that? I'm <laughs> into No,
4: I, I, I know
1: we don't have much time, but I am just going to say this is really a, such an important thing. This is so important because it's one of the things that I've thought about for years. About uh, and it all this all plays into people's understanding of the will of God. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to if you're trying to teach people about the will of God and knowing the will of God, they've got to start with the sovereign will of God. And most people don't believe that. Yeah. So I would say that most people in our church don't believe what we've just gone over tonight. Now, here's why I say that. Well, you say at one point in that first box, God's decree is such as determinative, but it's not constraining. Now, there's the whole point. The Arminians say, no, if it's determinative, it must be constraining. If something is determined, God must be constraining. So back when you had this definition over here, we started with it, said, the definition of God's decree the eternal plan of God by which He has rendered certain all the events of the universe. If you put the word determine in there, God has determined all the events of the universe. And you went out and asked our people, has God determined everything that happens? You think most of our most of the people in our church would say, Yeah, God has determined because see determination means constraint to them. Mm-hmm. And we, we, he just, Mark just said, this is a difficult problem. We're saying determination does not mean constraint, but to the average person, determination means constraint. So if we went out and asked people in churches, our church, other churches, has God determined the course and outcome of every event? Has He determined everything? They would say, No, no, God's not determined. He knows, <laughs> but He hadn't determined it. You see how important that is? If you if you have this sovereign, if, if you ask them, is God sovereign? Yeah, God's sovereign. But they don't mean by that, God has determined everything that happens. Because that would be a constraint, and they don't believe in, you know, they have, haven't figured out how those things work together. We haven't figured it out exactly. But you've got to get that sovereign will straight first before you can understand how you're going to get the will of God in your own life, you know. But I believe it's just so important. God's sovereign,
4: but it's hard for me to grasp yeah. the definition sure. that's discussed or how it functions. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's God. I mean, we'll never, yeah. we'll
2: never understand, and I think if you if, if, you, if you accept that, you're not going to understand everything. And to me, it's, it's helpful, it's comforting to know that God is... Well, I just hope I'm not reading the sentence right. What's that? I figure I'm not understanding that <laughs>
3: sentence.
1: see, what they think of is, when they think of the will of God, they think of the perfect plan of God. When they say, when we say the perfect will of God, the sovereign will of God, they're thinking, well, there's some perfect will that God wants me to follow. What you, just, you know, there's some in between. There's a there's a moral will, yes, but there's this perfect will that God wants me to follow, and I got to find it out.
3: And they may have like
1: an open theist idea that God is responding to events. And, Whatever, but yeah. that's just what's out there.
0: And it, and if I make a choice and things go poorly, I missed God's will. I missed God's will,
1: <laughs> and, and that, I mean, that
0: that paralyzes people. Yeah. Paralyzes and you
1: say people. to them, well, "You can't miss God's will." They don't. That doesn't even compute because they don't have a category of God's sovereign will that's determined everything. You know. And ultimately, they do they do when when suffering comes and a crisis comes and some tragedy comes? They'll say, "Well, okay, God's sovereign; God's in control." We'll accept it for the bad things, but not for everything. You know, it's it's really just so important, but this is hard stuff to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, when we say that uh, God determines apart from constraint, it's an inscrutability. How how can we show that it's not a it's not a logical contradiction
0: or what's how do we know that it's just an inscrutability well it's just a word I use I mean it's, it's something I don't understand but must be true it's,
3: but we, can we show it not to be a logical contradiction
0: well I mean the way I word it I'd like to think it's not a logical contradiction but it's, it's something I don't have a model for explaining I mean they're different ideas
1: yeah, if you accept the idea that if you accept all these verses that God is sovereign mm-hmm. and he has determined everything then if he's not the author of evil which we don't want to put God as the author of evil then there's got to be some inscrutability here, right?
0: there's got to be some explanation I don't have it but there's the explanation it. it has to be there
1: and most people give up on the sovereign idea that, is, that right. God has determined everything. That's the easiest way to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, God just hasn't determined things. There's just things outside that God hadn't determined, and that accounts for the evil. But do
4: we sometimes, do the people define evil in the wrong way? I mean, if the tornado comes through and kills a hundred people, is that necessarily an evil?
0: Well, it's, it's a calamity. It's, I mean, it's it's, a calamity. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean that's and that's why that word sometimes is translated calamity. Does calamity come to the city and the Lord not ordain it? And the answer is, no, he ordained that.
1: Right. But let's say the rape of a child.
0: Okay. Okay, That's
1: yeah. evil. Yeah. evil. But I'm willing to say God ordained that. But I would hate to say it out here in, to our people the people. church. <laughs> I'd hate to say that.
2: Yeah, especially before we vote you. Before, before I get voted.
1: <laughs> I would never make it. You <laughs> see, that, that's really tough stuff there. You yeah. just said That's really
2: difficult. It's more of a one-on-one conversation. It is. It is. is, Than a
1: general audience. Now, Ken goes over this stuff. You know, it's a master plan for life, if you read it carefully. But I'm just looking out there. It's not fully sinking in. (laughs) I mean, I can see. Oprah would roast you for that. Mark has gone through this. You guys have had a lot of experience, and we went through this stuff verse by verse by verse. It takes that to...
3: thinking and and you know you think about our nature too you know our nature is sinful and that had to be ordained right so even when you think about it in that way it maybe gets to the secondary causation part of that you know we're we're responsible for that because we're acting contrary to god's nature in that that sinful nature i don't know how to go beyond that but I, i can't quite grasp it you know it's just it's like at the tip but you can't go all the way it's like a... these are just
2: we're just not going mm-hmm. to understand we're not going to understand we're finite mm-hmm. we're not going to understand it completely it just, we just have to trust what god mm-hmm. His his moral law what he gives us we just have to trust it yeah yeah, I mean,
0: we have analogies that we can use, but they all break down. I mean, i was just thinking of yesterday's. My my son when he we were, we, were, we didn't get all the re- leaves raked up before the snow came, and we just finished up yesterday. Uh, but uh, he he doesn't he doesn't use the rake correctly. Uh, and and <laughs> he, use what? His rake correctly. He he puts he puts he puts pressure. He he, he he. You're supposed to get over it and push it, and then he he leans into it. And so I gave him a cheap rake, you know, because I wanted to teach him a lesson on how to, you know, and he broke the rake, and he's he's all upset with the rake, yeah, this cheap rake. Uh, no, I said it's it's not the rake, it's you. And so there's a sense in which I ordained that that rake was—I go- I, I put that rake out there with the purpose of him breaking it because I knew it was going to happen, and yet. I'm not I didn't break the rake right. he broke the right, rake and, I, and of, I used it as a teaching moment for. yeah
3: and that's kind of what I'm trying to get at uh, yeah
0: and I mean it's a, it's a I mean the, the analogy always. every analogy always mm-hmm. breaks down but perhaps you get perhaps a sense here of mm-hmm. of or, ordaining something without causing it, mm-hmm. you know
3: and is, is I was thinking maybe uh, so there's different um Levels of good or bad, and so uh, you know you may do something bad, but for a purpose that's greater. Or if you have two choices to make, you'll choose the lesser of two evils.
4: and vote for Trump.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> My conscience clear.
3: So that mm. the only way well, for God to make the most perfect world uh, was to decree that the world be the way that it is.
0: Yeah, and, and we, don't, we just don't have a way of knowing all the ins and outs of that. But we see little pieces of that. I mean, what Romans 9 says, we really wouldn't understand what it means for God to be a holy God. If there wasn't a if we if we didn't get a window into his wrath against sin, I mean, if everybody was good, holiness would it would it would be a rather soft concept to us. It wouldn't mean as much to us as if we you know. But it says here, God actually put people he prepared vessels of for for destruction in order to make his wrath. And glory done, and so so we get a sense. I mean, a, a, of of what his goal is with that. Uh, so something evil in this world. Why was the evil there? So we could know God better. And I I have to think that every evil thing that happens in this universe has an explanation like that. We just don't get them, like we get that explanation. So
3: I, I was when I'm reading that I'm reading it right that Paul. Paul well, isn't um, denying
0: that charge. You just say, "Who are you to talk back like to Yeah, so right. Yeah. So, 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 question: How do we get? How do you, how do you explain yourself? And the answer is, it's an inscrutability. <laughs> so that's why I feel comfortable using it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we won't get through this section tonight, but. Uh, uh, Hopefully we can uh, do justice to this last bit. or We're still a little bit behind, obviously, but we'll see if we can't uh, put together what's left.
2: Okay.